Lord Jesus, it is out of deep love for you that we are here. Um, It is out of deep love for you that we follow you. It's also out of deep need. That's one of the reasons that we love you is because you are the one who meets needs. And we need more of you. We need more of your guidance. We need more of your presence. We need more of the life that you carry and the life that you offer. We need more of your ways. We don't know them. We need more of your heart. We don't have that in ourselves. Your heart for the lost and the hurting, your heart for the world, your heart for your people. Lord, would you produce your life in us, your character in us, the fruits of your spirit in us, so that we carry around love and joy and peace and patience into our daily interactions with people. Lord, make us more like yourself. As we open your word now, would we come with a posture of submission to the God who has written it, to the things that you have to say? <clears throat> I pray that you would, <clears throat> you would open us to your word this morning, that we would be receptive, that we would receive it with joy because it's you. It's you, not that the Bible is you, but that you, you infuse so much of your life and your presence into what you have to say and bringing it to us, Lord, have your way. May we receive you. May we receive what you have to say this morning. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you grab your Bibles? We're gonna start by reading the passage. So we're gonna go to John chapter seven and start at verse one. John 7, verses 1 to 10. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. So Galilee is to the north. He did not wish to go about in Judea, which is to the south, because the Jews there were looking for an opportunity to kill him. Now, the the Jewish festival of booths, or your translation might say tabernacles, they're essentially just tents. The Jewish festival was near, so his brothers, namely his disciples, said to him, leave here, leave Galilee, and go down south to Judea, so that your disciples may also see the works that you are doing, for no one who wants to be widely known acts in secret. You can't have um, a hidden Messiah. That's what they're saying. If If you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. And then the John adds a little side note, for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify against it that its works are evil. Go to the festival yourselves. I'm not going to the festival for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone to the festival, then he also went, not publicly, but as it were, in secret. We're going to stop there. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, we thank God for his word, even ones that are somewhat confusing like this. Marco, could you put that image up for me, please? Or Everett? There we go. Anyone play Risk? Thank you, Everett. Yes. 
risk is the game of what's it called? Was war? Yes. The conquest? Yes. The, the, I think their tagline was world domination, the game of world domination. So on in the game of risk, you have a, a map of the entire world. And you have your armies and you're trying to put them in different places so that eventually you can take over the entire world by conquering other people's armies. So I, I find it very funny that the, um, the people who designed this game thought of Canada in terms of Alberta, Ontario, and the East. That's it. It might've been me who designed it. It might've been an Albertan who designed it, but sort of like, that's all there is to Canada, right? Alberta and Ontario in the east. Anyway, this is only a, a snapshot of the entire map, right? But you can see that the different armies are positioned and they're going to be fighting against one another. Now, the game of risk was happening in real time in the time of Jesus, right? And the people who were dominating the, the known world were called the Romans. And the Romans were smart. And so what they would do is they would move their risk pieces around on the map according to where there was the most need. Okay? And they were well aware that Jewish festivals required more Roman presence because people would pilgrimage to would is that the right way to put that? Pilgrimage? They go on a pilgrimage, whatever. They would go on a pilgrimage to the Jewish festivals. And so there's a festival coming up and the Romans know that there are going to be thousands and thousands of Jewish people coming to celebrate this festival in Jerusalem. And so what Rome does is they put more of their army in place around Jerusalem at the time of the festival. That's what's happening. That's what's happening in our passage here. We're seeing more blue pieces and more red pieces going to the same area. Make sense? And Jesus' disciples know that Jesus is king over every part of the map, every part, part of the risk board. They know that because he's the Messiah. And they know that from their scriptures, right? So God, as early as on as Deuteronomy, is telling his people that you guys are going to be the head, not the tail, if you're following me. Right? That's his promise to his people is that the Jewish nation will no longer be dominated by the other world powers. It will be the Jews who will be on top and everyone else will be underneath. They know that from passages like Isaiah, where at the end of Isaiah, there's this vision of, of God's kingdom coming and he's establishing it on, on the earth. And the Jewish people are the ones on top. And you'll actually, if you look at the very last line of Isaiah, it talks about the people in the new kingdom of God are going to look out on the corpses of all of their enemies. Right? Go to Psalm 2. Could you, could you grab your Bibles and go to Psalm 2? Psalm 2 is explicit that the Jewish king will be on top and everyone else will be underneath him. That's the entire point of Psalm 2. The Jewish king, now they're thinking in terms of David, right? So David was promised an eternal throne. Right? And so this, this psalm is looking at David or at David's kingship, David's sons who would inherit his throne forever, right? And, it, and it's 
going to look at, look at now the interaction going on between the anointed Messiah, who is the Jewish king, and his interactions with the rest of the world. The, the author starts by saying, why do the nations, so that's all the other people who aren't Jewish, why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the one he put on the throne in Jerusalem. And they're saying, Let, let's cast their, their, their chains away from us, cast their cords away from us. But he who sits in the heavens, God, laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to those nations in his wrath and he'll terrify them in his fury and say, you guys are doing this for nothing. I set my king on Zion. That's Jerusalem, right? I, I set my king on my holy hill. Now the king speaks. I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, the king, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations yours. The, the whole risk board is yours king in Jerusalem. I will make the ends of the earth your possession and you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So whatever's going on in Rome, it is irrelevant because God has put his king in Jerusalem. So now that the, the psalmist says, be therefore, O kings, kings of the earth, be, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. With trembling, kiss either his feet or kiss the sun. He will be angry or he will be angry and you'll perish in your way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Happy are all who take refuge in him. Jewish king on top, the rest of the world underneath. They, that's the framework that the disciples have in mind when they're, they're seeing that and calling Jesus the Messiah. Jewish king on top will subject the rest of the world to Jewish rule. That, that's the framework that they bring to it and they get it from the scriptures, right? They have good reasons for thinking these things, good biblical reasons, God's promises. You'll be the head and not the tail. You will look out and see the corpses of your enemies. You will see David's son sit on the throne forever and the nations will respond in submission. And it's not happening in the time of Jesus. Not even close. Rome rules the risk board. And something's wrong. And the disciples are reading their Bibles going, God, do your thing. Do your thing. We got chapter and verse here for it. And the disciples see an opportunity for Jesus to fulfill the scriptures. They see it at the festival we just talked about where Rome is going to put more of its risk pieces around Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is going to have more of their risk pieces in the city itself. There's an opportunity for Jesus to get a following and kick out Rome. Do you remember what happened when Jesus turned the loaves into, um, multiplied the loaves? 
the, the response of the crowd was that they wanted to make him king immediately. What if Jesus does that on a larger scale in a city that's full of people who are waiting for God to fulfill the scriptures? You said you're the Messiah, go do it. That's what they're asking for here. So in, in John chapter seven, so let's flip back there. Let's remind ourselves of what I'm talking about. John chapter seven, verse, um, verse four, they, or verse three, his brothers say to him, leave here. You're, you're up in the north. Go down to where it's all about to happen, where the king is supposed to be on the throne, down in Judea, so that your disciples may see what you're doing. For no one who wants to be widely known acts in secret. You're supposed to gain a following. You don't gain a following by hiding yourself. Go proclaim it openly, they're saying. If you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. That's the setting. That's the context for, our, for what's happening historically. It's the context for what's happening in Jesus. And it's the context for what's happening in his disciples right now. And it comes from a lack of faith. For not even his disciples believed him. Such an interesting comment, right? Jesus turns the water into wine and it says that his disciples believed in him. Just from him turning water into wine, they're growing in belief in Jesus. And yet here we see a place where they are still not tracking with him. And it comes from disbelief. They're pushing their own timing. It's not that the scriptures are wrong. It's not that they have even interpreted their scriptures wrong. It's timing. God will fulfill those scriptures, but he's going to go about it in his own way and he's going to go about it in his own time. And when the disciples push their own time, go do it now at this festival, Jesus. The author says that comment came from their lack of belief in him. And then Jesus says, my time isn't yet for that. They had the scriptures. They were urging God to do something. And God said, you got the timing wrong. How often have we done that? How often have we looked at scriptures and said, God, do it now. I've been doing it here too much. And I lacked timing. I, I realized this week that um, in my, my attempt to keep in step with the spirit, I was focusing on where he was going. I was focusing on Jerusalem. And I didn't recognize his pace. The disciples didn't recognize the pace of Jesus. He will go to Jerusalem. He will become king. He will subdue the nations but not in the way that they're thinking and not in the timing that they're thinking. 
I was rebuked by this passage this week. How many times have you urged God to go do something and you have chapter and verse for it? But what we lacked was the sensitivity of where is he at in the moment in his journey in that direction? Where is he at in your life? And some of their their urgency actually came from a lack of faith. Like, do I actually believe that God's going to go do that? I don't know if I believe it unless he does it now. It's good. It's a good rebuke for me. Funny thing about this passage is that he goes where they told him to go. You see that? (laughs) They were urging him to go to this festival. And he does go. But he doesn't go the way that they want. Right? He gets there. He gets exactly to where they've been urging him to go. And and even more than that, he goes where they're urging him to go. And he's continuing to do the work of the Messiah there. Now, we haven't got to that part in the passage. But you're going to notice throughout this passage, Jesus is continuing to interact with people. He, Jesus is not off course at all. He gets there and he, he's working there. But the disciples miss it because they're expecting something else. It didn't fit their timing and it didn't fit what they were looking for. How many times have we in our own lives missed God's presence and God's work because we were looking for something else? Wherever you're at right now and whatever your, your own particular prayer life, your urge. so often in our prayer lives, what we do is actually tell God what to do. Um, it, it's, it's not all that there is to prayer. We make our requests, but then we also say, not my will, but yours be done. And then we also look for the ways that he answers. That, those are the other parts of prayer that are sometimes missing when we just tell God what to do. Whether it's save my friend or heal that person or fix this problem that I have at work right now. God can go about it any number of ways, but so often we say, fix this in this way. Come move at unity in this way to preach at myself. Right? The, the more that we try to push what we want, the more we might miss what he does. You know, it's a really curious thing about this passage. I don't know where the disciples went. If you actually read through, read through the rest of this passage, we are, we're not going to see the disciples again until chapter nine. Something went wrong. I'm going to submit this to you as something that, this has been suggestion. So you take this and weigh this with, with the Lord personally. 
I'm not so sure they should have gone to the festival. I think when Jesus says, you go, I'm not going. I, I think that was sort of like a parent going, you know, do what you want. This is not really what, like, you took those words too literally when you then did what you want, right? Like, that's not, that wasn't the heart behind what, when someone said, when the parents said, go do what you want. I'm not so sure they should have left the master. They had committed to following him. It's sort of a where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Um, I, I submit that to you. you. You consider that. Be hard to prove that in the text. So I, I offer that to you as Ben's suggestion. Where are they? We're going to see Jesus interact with religious leaders. We're going to see Jesus interact with the crowds in chapter 7, chapter 8. But we're not going to see a single disciple until chapter 9. I find that strange, especially... It could be. Mm-hmm. It could be entirely. I don't know. That's why I say I submit it to you. And there are alternative suggestions. That's a great one. Um, may not be one or the other. That at some point, they need to regroup with him. <clears throat> and we're never told when they regroup with him. They could have regrouped with him immediately. They could have regrouped with him at some point sort of off camera, right? And then how or why? You know what? I just don't know. Maybe God ordained it because they were going to get in the way, right? Maybe Jesus needed to just have one-on-ones with crowds for a little bit. Um, it's hard to know. That's why I say I, I just I offer that. Do you know how Jesus won? I mean, some of these scriptures still need to be fulfilled. Those ones that I read. You know how Jesus won the risk game, though, at least in terms of Rome? You may have heard of a guy named Constantine, right? Constantine was a Roman emperor, 300-something, um, who was the one who made Christianity the official religion of Rome. And up until that time, what had happened was that... Um, People continue to believe in Jesus. And one of the main ways that the, the, that news spread was by Rome killing Christians to the point where one of the, um, the, the church, early church fathers said that the blood of the martyrs, the, the people who were dying for Jesus, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Sort of the more that, more that you kill the Christians, the more that they spread. Now, some say that Constantine came to power and made a political move and decided, I'm going to follow Jesus and Rome is going to become Christian um, because it was, it was purely political. I'm not sure that accounts for everything. Um, this isn't my suggestion, so it, others have said this. But there's another way of looking at Constantine. Christianity had spread so far in 300 years of blood being spilled and seed going out, that the last person to realize what was happening was the king, Constantine. 
because there were actually members of his family who had become Christian. You know know how Jesus took over Rome? Not in the way that the disciples had expected. Not, Not by following their timing, but by submitting it to him. How did... How did the Christians take over Rome? How did Jesus take over Rome? His presence went out and they had to follow where his presence was going in his time and watch where he was working, even when it looks like people are dying here. He was working not in the way that they expected and it spread. And it it, 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 it spread by people sticking with Jesus. There's a perseverance that happened there. As they, they trusted this one to say, we, we're going to submit what our, our best understanding of the scriptures. You said we are going to be the, the head and not the tail. You said that you were going to be king and the king is currently killing us. But Jesus took over Rome. But he did it he, he won a different way. And he will fulfill those scriptures. I, I was looking at Revelation 19. In Revelation 19, Jesus comes back. And in Revelation 19, as Jesus comes back to be the king who does take over the entire risk board in Revelation 19, it actually quotes... Psalm 2, he will rule them with a scepter of iron, just like Psalm 2 said. But it didn't happen the way that they thought. It didn't happen in the timing the disciples had for Jesus. They had to submit that to him. And in submitting to him, we find that Jesus wins. Sarah raised a hand. So are there others who have questions? You want to interact with this at all? Be happy to do that. Yeah, Lionel. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, I think the other one is in connection with the law, when we know we start to find the black and the right and we obscure with what we try to be obscure with the pharisaical even obscure with everybody. Yeah. But it becomes clearer and clearer as we approach the next beat, which is that's great. Thanks, Lionel. Uh, for those of you who couldn't hear Lionel, Lionel's saying that um, Torah required, so the Old Testament required that the Jewish males come to Jerusalem three times a year for these festivals, right? And so by Jesus saying that he's not going to that festival, it, it's putting him out of line with Torah. And, and then he's being, Lionel, Lionel's next point was that he's being obscure with his disciples. He's concealing something, which is an interesting point right? Because it's still for their sake. 
so, so chew on this with me. It's still for their sake what Jesus does, but he's withholding part of it except to tell them you guys don't have the timing right. You know, it's the editor, the, um, the author who will say this is, this is a faith issue, but it's Jesus himself who will say this is a timing issue. That God is not, um, he's not only not on our schedules, but he's also not always very willing, willing, I don't know if that's the right word, but he doesn't immediately reveal his schedule, which is just really curious. And sometimes God does hide that. And are we going to follow him when we don't, when we don't know how it's going to work out or when it's going to work out? So thanks for asking that, Lionel, or thanks for sharing that. Other thoughts, questions, comments? Yeah, Joel. There is a diff- good question. So there is a different word for disciple versus brother. Yep. So that's that, that different word is there, right? Why is he, why is it um, using the term brothers? That's a great question because it actually uses it three times in, in these 10 verses. He uses it three times and it says brothers each time. The reason why I'm saying it's the disciples is because it's been the con this is um this is continuing on from what just happened in the previous chapter and what it's actually doing where in the previous chapter, so you'd have to think back a couple of weeks, everyone is against Jesus in, in that previous chapter. So Jesus comes, he's, he's the bread from heaven and everyone goes, whoa, what the heck? Why, why is it that you're now telling us that in order to have life, we have to follow you, eat your flesh and drink your blood? Right? And it says that right then, as a result of that, many people stopped following Jesus. So Jesus actually then looks at the 12 and says, are you guys going to? Like, that's how many people left. So I think what's happening here is that it's continuing that, that movement of heightening the, the, the difference between Jesus and everyone who follows him, that everyone's actually out of step with Jesus to a certain degree, even the people that are very closest to him, which is why I think it uses the term brothers. Again, that's my suggestion. To my knowledge, it's not his um, biological brothers because um, it doesn't appear that Jesus' biological brothers ever really followed him until post-resurrection. Good question. It, it heights, so let's bring that back to us, right? We who say, I love you, Jesus. I'm with you, Jesus. I'm following you, Jesus. Wherever you go, I go. Sometimes I'm still at a step, right? The, the people who are closest to him still don't always get this right. I don't. Any other questions, comments? Sarah? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So Sarah's comment is, why is it that Jesus says that he's not going and then he does go 
Did Jesus tell a fib? Is this a white lie? I wondered if we'd get into that. Marco has an answer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like you say, it's time because I'm thinking with about how do we listen and say, okay, God, what is your time? Mm-hmm. That's good. So, what Marco said, thanks, Marco, is that um, the disciples were and Jesus were interacting about Jesus going publicly with the risk board scenario, right? Jesus said, I'm not going in that sense. And then he still goes. So is that a, is that a white lie or is that I'm, I'm interacting with your assumptions and your request? And the answer to that is no. It's, you know, language is tricky, right? Um, Let's say uh, Chantel calls me for dinner and uh, I'm busy doing something and I say, I'm I'm reading the Bible because I'm spiritual. I'm reading the Bible. Okay, I'm coming. And I finish what I'm doing. Am I coming? (laughs) When I say I'm coming, am I coming? So sometimes that's sort of how language works. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know if, I'm not. No, I know some people are though. And so I, I appreciate that you raised it for the sake of the others who have wondered about that. Um, that's about the best that I can attempt and answer. Um, I'm not going to get into the whole ethics of when is it right to tell a lie. <laughs> Um, and maybe, maybe you want to go that way. Uh, I'm not sure I could interact a lot more on that. Um, I, I think that he's simply engaging with their assumptions and what they have requested, which is a lot more than just, let's make a trip. I think it was, let's make this particular trip. But, um, you know, maybe sort of like Lionel said, you know, he's being obscure and and I do think he's being obscure for the sake, for the sake of the disciples. And so maybe he's trying to draw something out, you know, draw something out in them. Like, is he testing them? Because you you see God test, and when God tests people in Scripture, He says things that He doesn't actually want or do, and and that's pretty similar too, right? So for example, um, He incites David to have a census of Israel. It wasn't what he wanted. He was testing him. Um, so is it, is it permissible for God to, <laughs> is it 
permissible for God is such a weird way of speaking. Is that sort of in line with his character to say something that isn't true because intention isn't a, because his intention isn't about establishing um, his what he's doing next. It's about I'm saying this to reveal something about you. Maybe that's what's going on. I don't have. We don't have exact parallels that I can think of off the top of my head in scripture for this. So that's why I'm trying to bring some alternatives there. Um, It's a bit of a puzzler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So to summarize what Lionel just said to the best of my ability, um, Jesus hides part of his plan um, for the sake of the total plan, not only for the sake of the disciples, but for the sake of the total work. Um, and he will receive that authority. Oh, is that a, a decent summary of what you said there? Okay. Thanks, Lionel. Joel? Very much. Thank you, Joel. Joel's pointing out that that verse that we didn't talk about where Jesus says to the disciples that um, I can't go there now um, in the way that you're talking about um, because when I do, I end up pointing out that the world is wrong and you know, getting back to what someone else said, they already want to kill me. Right? But you guys can go because you're not actually doing that. But the, the subtle point within that that Joel caught and is making is that they still have more of the world in them and that's why the world doesn't hate them. And that they're not actually following Jesus fully because if they were, they'd be saying and doing what he's saying and doing, which would have a different, they'd get a different reaction from the world. Very interesting thought. Thanks, Joel. 
Pardon me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's linked to faith, for sure. Yep. If they were fully following him, they'd be saying and doing what he's doing. Let's, let's pause there. Lord, we have, we have interacted over your word, which is what you always want us to be doing, interacting with your word and interacting together over your word. And I thank you for that opportunity. Lord, as we have seen Jesus at work here, in, in ways that are, someone said, obscure and raise questions, we come back to the reminder that you are a God who can be trusted even in obscurity. Even when we don't fully see or understand what's going on. So Lord, we offer you a moment now to speak into our lives and where that applies to us, whether it's timing, whether it's faith, whether it's sticking with you, Lord, would you speak to us about where we need to trust you fully and keep in step with you? We offer you this moment. Lord, would you grow us in following you no matter what, in trusting you no matter what, in submitting ourselves to not only your plan, but your timing, even when we see the scriptures and say, Lord, do it. You said you would. Lord, we trust you. If there's anything that this passage has been reminding us of that we have interacted over just now, it's that we, we don't fully understand you as though you can be somehow contained and defined as though that's all of you. I thank you for revelation, Lord. I thank you for your scriptures that reveal who you are. And they reveal something that's mysterious. 
And I thank you for the portions that are clear because we know we follow a Jesus who goes to a cross, who died for our sins, who is raised again, who sits enthroned in the heavens, who is and will fulfill all scripture. And we trust you for how you're working now. When we don't see it or we see only in part. We follow you even when we don't understand what you just said. Thank you that you are patient with people who are growing. Make us people who bless you. Make us good brothers and sisters to Jesus. We will regather and say, we don't, maybe we don't quite understand what just happened, but we're still in this. We still follow you, Jesus. We're still here to learn from you. So thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the encouragement that it is. Thank you that you reveal yourself. You are good. Thank you that we can continue in worship now. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll invite Joel and Sheldon to come on back up. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.